Welcome to the Buddha Sasana podcast. This talk was given by Bhikkhu Chintita in Chisago City, Minnesota. I've been providing practical guidance for practicing each of the exercises in the Satipatthana Sutta, walking through what you should be doing as you contemplate body, feeling, mind, and dhammas. This is in accord with my long, more academic exposition of how to interpret the Satipatthana texts and understand the functions of Satipatthana and Samadhi. This week, we take up the third body exercise, the contemplation of routine bodily actions. Again, bhikkhus, a bhikkhu is one who acts with comprehension when going forward and returning, who acts with comprehension when looking ahead and looking away, who acts with comprehension when flexing and extending his limbs, who acts with comprehension when wearing his robes and carrying his outer robe and bowl, who acts with comprehension when eating, drinking, consuming food, and tasting, who acts with comprehension when defecating and urinating, who acts with comprehension when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. The first thing we notice is that this exercise is unlikely to be practiced on the cushion or sitting at the root of a tree, whereas the previous posture exercise still lends itself, perhaps not ideally, to visualizing standing and walking and the rest from the vantage point of the cushion. This is hardly possible with all the kinds of familiar activities we perform throughout the day of which posture is only a part. This is fairly strictly an off-the-cushion practice. Still, context matters to how successfully we engage this practice. If we try to contemplate bodily actions in normal household life with all of its busyness and constant distractions and interruptions and often a need to multitask, we will find it very challenging to remember to comprehend the relevant details of every action as they unfold in experience moment by moment with ardency, proficiency, and unhinderedness. More suitable is a cultivated context that greatly reduces distractions, interruptions, and responsibilities, in which we can perform these actions slowly and deliberately. The environment provided in the modern meditation retreat, in which silence is maintained and interactions with others subdued, even off the cushion, is quite conducive. A monastery environment, like where I live, is such a context almost continuously, except on festive occasions when many families visit. Dwelling alone in the forest is such a context, 
if you don't mind the pythons and tigers. This exercise is most familiarly practiced as walking meditation between periods of sitting meditation during a retreat or in personal practice in which we remain attentive to every detail of walking just as we are attentive to every detail of breath. A similar effect can be achieved more generally if we think of our day as a long series of individual tasks, one task at a time. At any point, ask yourself, what am I doing now? Washing the dishes? Exiting a building? Taking a shower? And simply attend to every detail, just as we are attentive to every detail of walking. Notice the doorknob. Notice the turning of the doorknob, the movement of the door, the click of the bolt as the door swings into place. The description of the exercise repeats the phrase acts with comprehension over and over in this exercise, highlighting one of the four factors of ardency, comprehension, proficiency, and unhinderedness that are required of Satipatthana practice. Comprehension is this acute attentiveness and engagement in the task at hand, supported by the energy of ardency, the non-distractedness of unhinderedness and samadhi, and the know-how of proficiency. In everyday life, comprehension is naturally present all by itself when we are challenged but enthused by the task, particularly if the task is intrinsically rewarding. Hobbies are a natural home for comprehension, like fly fishing or playing chess. The attentiveness is right there, and it is perhaps life's greatest pleasure to be so engaged in that task, in and of itself. And this is not mundane sensual pleasure. It's spiritual pleasure. However, our simple bodily actions are not a natural home for comprehension. Simple bodily actions do not, as a rule, challenge us because walking, eating, urinating, and the rest are routine, totally internalized, and rather effortless. In fact, we normally do them on autopilot and often don't even notice that we're doing them. Almost everyone was challenging and rewarding at one time. As toddlers, we learn to coordinate muscles, balance, and visual and tactile input in order to walk. Each step was carefully planned, and it was exciting. But since then, we've so internalized the task to the point of boredom. Driving is a more recent and memorable example. Our natural tendency when engaged in routine and internalized activities is the opposite of comprehension. Our attentiveness becomes scattered or we multitask to give ourselves something more interesting to do, either zoning out behind the wheel or texting. In Satipatthana practice, we need to turn that around. Comprehension, which is attentive engagement in the humdrum, is an art, one we develop and cultivate in Buddhist practice. 
but one that is helpful in many worldly contexts in which we seek to perfect our skills in one thing or another. There are a number of techniques involved in bringing comprehension to the routine, including making the task more challenging by introducing further specification, raising the stakes, psyching ourselves up, and taking deliberate control of attention. In fact, we employ the range of such techniques in Buddhist practice until they become routine. We can make the task more challenging by observing additional requirements. Driving is routine and a bit boring. How about trying to get to where we're going twice as fast? This makes driving more challenging intrinsically enjoyable, and, in fact, it is a valued hobby of choice among teenage boys. How about walking without stepping on any cracks in the sidewalk, a pastime of otherwise bored children? We can impose ritual into otherwise simple activities, lending gravitas through enhanced comprehension in religious and sports contexts. Of course, in Satipatthana, we add the requirements of internal and external analysis, but I want to put that aside for now. When stakes are high, ardency is high, and comprehension improves. An athlete becomes quite attentive and engaged at that critical moment that determines win or loss. A hunter, when making that critical shot, the Buddha describes a scenario in which a man must carry a bowl of oil without spilling a drop, with the swordsman following behind, ready to fell his head the instant he fails. Quite an incentive. Additionally, he adds a distraction. He must carry the oil past the most beautiful girl in the land while she is singing and dancing before a crowd of people. Quite a potential distraction. All agree that the man is likely to succeed in spite of the distraction because the incentive raises ardency through the roof. The Buddha then instructs his listeners. That is how he wants us to practice bodily action. Psyching ourselves up is really the point of the Buddha's story. He doesn't expect for you to hire a swordsman to follow you about. But you can imagine what that would be like. You can also simply remind yourself that every tiresome action you choose to investigate is actually quite fascinating. Tedium on autopilot has dulled our notice of that. Take walking. There is so much to look at. How your body must rock back and forth to keep balance as the weight shifts from one foot to the other, how much time you spend perched like that on one foot while the other reaches forward for a new foothold, how you only see, looking past your belly, one foot at a time, how contact with the ground rolls along the sole of the foot. These were things you had probably monitored carefully when you were one year old, and learning how to propel yourself through the world, but had since forgotten. I like to remind myself to comprehend something commonly regarded as routine and stale by asking myself, 
What is this? There's a lot of curiosity in this question, and the curiosity is never fully satisfied. Ultimately, we don't know what it is. It's ineffable. But a lot of comprehension is brought out in trying to answer it. We take deliberate control of our attention primarily through seeking out a context that is not disruptive nor distracting than by systematically weeding out the hindrances of lust, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and doubt, and then returning to the task every time the mind wanders away anyway. If we manage a degree of engagement and attentiveness in this practice, then our friend Samadhi appears to give us a boost, taking root to shrink-wrap our attention around the factors relevant to the task at hand. However, deep levels of samadhi, or deeper jhanas, depend on a lot of other factors and are not so likely to arise off the cushion or in bodily actions. The bodily action exercise occurs as something productively pursued independently of satipatthana. Satipatthana is a practice of verifying and internalizing dhamma to produce wisdom, and dhamma for the body exercises is found in the refrain, particularly the teachings of non-self and impermanence. Elsewhere, the exercise is presented not as a satipatthana practice, but independent of the refrain. Why would we want to practice this if not to grow Buddhist wisdom? The engine of ardency, comprehension, proficiency, and unhinderedness belongs to the mind development factors of the Noble Eightfold Path. They can and should be developed as critical skills in themselves because they are a support for all of Buddhist practice also engaged in developing virtue, kindness, and compassion. Bodily actions provide a training ground for the generalized skill of skillful Buddhist practice. If we can maintain ardent, attentive engagement in everyday mundane tasks and even develop some degree of samadhi in doing so, imagine what we can do on the cushion. Our ardency, comprehension, proficiency, and unhinderedness will have become very acute. In fact, you will find you excel at your everyday tasks at well. And reciprocally, practicing on the cushion and emerging with a very still mind offers a valuable opportunity to practice. The practice I'm talking about is often called everyday mindfulness by modern teachers and has been most prominently promoted in the West by the late Thich Nhat Hanh. Be engaged and attentive in everything you do, and also become an expert. But as a Satipatthana practice, we fold in the refrain. In this way he abides contemplating body in the body internally, or he abides contemplating body in the body externally, or he abides contemplating body in the body, both internally and externally. He abides contemplating in body the nature of arising, 
Worry abides contemplating in body the nature of vanishing. Worry abides contemplating in body the nature of both arising and vanishing. Recollection that there is a body is simply established in him to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and proficiency. He abides independent. He doesn't cling to anything in the world. That is how Abhiku abides contemplating body in the body. We engage in internal analysis in periods of planned walking meditation or treat other physical actions as we treat walking. We become intimate and take utmost care with the movement of the knife through the vegetables and the contact of the knife with the cutting board. We become keenly aware of the balance of the tray we are carrying and any danger of tripping, and as an additional constraint, place the tray silently and precisely in line with the edge of the counter. Next, we notice the impermanence of each bodily action that we undertake throughout the day. Each of these actions arises, lasts a while, perhaps goes through stages, then the action is over. It may involve hands, feet, certainly posture, sometimes collaboration of multiple parts of the body, as in taking a shower or a selfie, or as in eating. These actions are contingent on a variety of other factors that arise. Physical things like hunger or danger, social things including interactions with others, and social constraints. Sometimes a grand overarching plan plays a conditional role or intentionality at many different levels. Rather than seeing tedium in the repetitious nature of impermanence, we realize that we are looking into the very fabric of reality. Occasionally, in our practice, we do a bit of external analysis. As we note the various collaborating parts of the body and the many, many conditioning factors on which our bodily actions are contingent, we never see the body as one of them. We might bring that substantial fixed facet of the self to mind and take it seriously if we get caught up in our narratives about it, but we never see it as a conditioning factor in that fabric of contingency that gives rise to our bodily actions. The body as the self always stands apart as an unwelcome and abstract intruder as we engage in the bodily action exercise. And later, when we once again get caught up in the narratives, they bring us woe until we can perfect this kind of practice. Next week, another exercise. To learn more about the Rethinking the Satipatthana Project, please go to sirigu.org slash chintita. That is S-I-T-A-G-U dot org C-I-N-T-I-T-A.